excited because this morning we have the opportunity to step out of the Old Testament and into the New Testament. Think about this. It's been almost 2,000 years since God approached Abraham and established his covenant with Abraham and gave his blessing. In Genesis 12, we read that God says, I will bless you and make you a great nation, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. 2,000 years have been since God uttered those words. We fast forward and almost 15 years, 15, I don't think so, 1,500, there we go, 1,500 years prior, God says to David, King David, who wanted to build the Lord a temple, God says to him in 2 Samuel 7, 16, no, you're not going to build me a house, but David, I will establish your throne, your home, your line, and I will establish it forever. Very quickly, the anticipated one to come would be referred to as Mashiach, Messiah, meaning the anointed one, king. There would be a king that would come. And almost 400 years prior, the last prophet they would hear from Malachi would declare to them that there is a messenger who will come. He will clear the way. He will prepare the way. And there is a messenger of the covenant. The promise and blessing of Abraham. The one who would come and fulfill it. And we look forward to all of this. Imagine the waiting. How many of you love to wait? Hmm, no hands. How many of you love the art of practicing patience? One, wow. I don't. And then there's hoping. And hoping and hoping. Let me ask this, how many of you can relate with the hope, the emotion, the mindset, the, the concept of hope? I can. There's many things that we hope for, we look ahead to. And I think of that word hope, my mind always drifts back to the Proverbs. Proverbs 13.12 states this, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Have you ever had a hope that has been deferred, pushed back, it's not there yet? Have you ever had a hope like that? I have. And it says, a hope deferred makes the heart sick. They have been longing, they have been wanting their Messiah to come. Scripture says, in the fullness of time, 
Christ came at the very perfect time. Listen to the second part of that verse, though. But a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. When it comes, oh my goodness, it's like life just bursts forth within. And we come to the New Testament. That hope has been deferred for quite some time. Over 2,000 years. Oh, but that longing is going to be fulfilled. Throughout the Old Testament, we have been tracing that, that scarlet thread that, is, that has been going through. And as we come to the, the New Testament, we see that it is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Can you tell I'm a little excited to get into the New Testament? I mean, especially after 17 weeks of looking ahead, looking ahead, looking ahead. It's here. And, and as, you, as you go through the New Testament, we see that we will engage in, in the Acts and Epistles and hope is given. But it's given in such a powerful way, you and I have the opportunity to reflect the hope that comes in Jesus Christ. That's why it's a little, well, a little dimmer right there. Because, let's be honest, I have watched some of your lives I have watched my own life. And I don't always reflect the hope that is stated so clearly in the Scriptures through the actions and attitude of my life. That hope can be very dim sometimes when people look. But you and I are able to reflect that and we will see that as we go through. It's a gift. The hope of Jesus Christ is a gift. And you and I get to be the ones to offer it to those around us. And then we, in the New Testament, we will look at Revelation. Oh, the hope we see in Revelation. How many of you are excited about seeing that book and seeing the hope that we have in that book? When you think Revelation, how many of you think hope? Two of you. Oh man, you are really going to love Revelation then. It is amazing because we see hope fully seen. It is complete. Oh, and it is amazing. And we'll get there. But we have a few more, few more weeks before that happens. Because at that time, not only will Jesus Christ come for the second time, He will sit on His throne. A beautiful, beautiful time. Our, our study in the Old Testament has had us looking at hope for some time as something to come. As we approach it today and moving forward, it is something tangible, visible in Jesus Christ. We, we come and, and I love as... as I was looking again just at the structure of the Old Testament or the New Testament. I, I love how our scriptures are put together. Before we jump into Matthew, let me just express some of the things about the structure of the New Testament. We have the foundation here in, in the, the historical books. Remember, we went through the Old Testament, we went through the history of Israel all the way up to the point of where Malachi would, would be preaching. But you understood the history of it. 
You understood what was going on. And then as the message came through, you understood what was going on. We get the foundation of the historical books in, in the Gospels and Acts. As, as we move through the, the Gospels, oh my goodness. Gospel simply means the good news. Isn't that wonderful? When we go and share the gospel, we get to share the good news. We share what Jesus Christ has done for you and I. And we look and discover the first advent, the first coming. There are four gospels that we have. It's like God gives us the coming of His Son in stereo. I love listening to music, but I do not enjoy it in mono, really. It's not the same. You do it in stereo with a subwoofer and, and surround sound and oh my goodness. And as we look at the four Gospels, we will see the life and actions and work of Jesus Christ in stereo. As, as, we, as we dive into this, it's interesting. There's actually not a lot recorded about Jesus' life. Did you know that? He lived 33 years on earth and all we get is, well, these four Gospels about his life. If you were to look at it as a whole, we only have recorded for us the details of about 50 days of his life. How many of you are going, oh. And it's fascinating. Most of it encompasses the very last week of his time here on earth before the cross. Matthew, as we approach it, was written somewhere between 50 A.D. and 65 A.D. It was written later on because initially the, the message of the gospel, the good news, was an oral expression. It was going out and people were sharing it in, in verbal ways. But as the message would grow and spread and begin to go to the ends of the earth, as we see in Acts 1.8, as it would spread across the world, there was a greater need to have these things written down. And so the Gospel books would be written down. Acts will take us through the birth of the church to the birth of the bride of Christ, and we will see the church grow. We will see God use a man like Paul in total opposition of him, and God turns his heart around and uses this man to build his church. And we will see the acts of the apostles as God uses them at the very center of the New Testament is the letters. It's very personal in, in their approach to the Christian life. It's very practical too. In all honesty, when we look at some of these letters as we go through, they're going to pinch a little bit. Because we will look and go, oh, that's for me. They were written to individuals written to churches, local fellowships like ours. Well, not quite like ours. They didn't, they didn't have chairs like this or, or air conditioning. Well, they might have opened windows, but... But the fellowships, local gatherings of believers, 
The first group of letters written is, is by Paul. Paul writes a majority of those letters. He really enjoyed communicating through, through the written aspect, something people could hold on to. And the second portion of the letters is, is written by various authors and so forth. And it's interesting, Hebrews kind of bridges between the, the two. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. There's speculations out there. It might have been Paul. It might have been someone else. It might have been someone we have no clue who. But it's really cool that it bridges between those two groups of letters. I'm going to enjoy going through, through Hebrews with you as well. But as we, as we look at the New Testament, there's one final book. Throughout the, old, the New Testament, there's, there's tidbits of prophecy. We see that in Thessalonians and different ones, but, but the lion's share of prophecy that we see in the New Testament comes in the book of Revelation. It is exciting. It is just invigorating to look at that. And as we look at that lion's share of, Revel, of Revelation, we discover the Lion of Judah. Jesus Christ himself returning to earth to be king. It is fascinating. I am so excited about that. But, but now we're, we're going to jump into Matthew. And, and we're going to stay there the rest of the time. And as we do, you have to understand, Matthew is probably not the first gospel written. Most of the, the books in, in the New Testament are not necessarily in order. Mark was probably the first, but we're looking at Matthew, and it's an excellent gospel to bridge the two testaments. Matthew was one of two gospel writers that was an actual disciple of Jesus. The other two were not. You're like, Ugh. it's interesting when you ask people, can you name the 12 disciples? Well, yeah, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. No, 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 no. Matthew, yes. He was. In fact, Matthew is called by Jesus, and he's a tax collector. Let me say that again. Matthew is called by Jesus, and he was a tax collector. No, it, no, no, not boo, not oh. It should be amen. We have hope. If God could call a tax collector who was actually despised by the Jews more than anybody else, here is an individual who would take their money taxes and give it to a Gentile emperor. Who would choose a job like that? Who would side with, with the Roman emperor like that? And Jesus chooses a man like that to be one of his disciples, to be one of the apostles. Oh, that should give us some hope. And Matthew does an amazing job throughout his gospel emphasizing Christ's love and compassion for the outcast. Because Matthew understood what it was like to be an outcast. Matthew emphasizes how sinners are drawn to this man, Jesus. 
was making claims of being the very Son of God. But sinners are attracted to Him. They are made to feel welcome and forgiven. Matthew makes sure that's emphasized. And Jesus comes. He comes with His teaching in a powerful manner. He comes and and gives a clear picture in connection to the law, but He gives something greater. I want you to look at at Matthew chapter 5. Look at Jesus' words here. Chapter 5, verse 17 and 18, it says, Jesus says, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. And really, when you look at the Old Testament, it's categorized in the law and the prophets. Those, those two sections are the major ones. It's saying, I didn't come to abolish the Old Testament. That's why we take time in our church to look at the Old Testament. It is applicable to our lives. But listen to what he says. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. There is a work that Jesus Christ is going to be doing. And it is going to fulfill what he has given us in the Old Testament. I love that that Moses is the one that God uses to give the law. But here we see one greater than Moses. God with them. Matthew emphasizes that that Jesus was Emmanuel. God with us. Matthew's whole purpose in writing is to present Christ as the anointed one. The long-awaited Messiah, the King. You, you get this as you read through this. It's, it's presenting Jesus as King of the Jews. Jesus Christ Himself is the very epitome, the climax of all the teachings of the prophets. As we have been going through, we have been looking ahead that scarlet thread and it is revealed and made clear in Jesus Christ. As Matthew presents his gospel, it's very Jewish in flavor. As as you look at this, we see a very Jewish perspective. And some of you are like, well, I can pass Matthew out, right? No. Don't do that you will miss something amazing. He's definitely writing to a Jewish audience who would understand the the emphasis that he's making when he says, listen, look at the covenant, look at the promise, and we now have the blessing in flesh, Jesus Christ. He is the one that all the earth will be blessed through. He shows them clearly that this is the one that comes from the Davidic line. As he begins, we see a genealogy. 
And he goes all the way back to Abraham. He says, look, here's the descendants. Boom, 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 boom. And as he goes through, he comes to David and we're like, oh my goodness. And we see through the Davidic line, two individuals, Joseph, Jesus' stepdad, and Mary, his mother. Both coming from the line of David. Making Jesus the rightful heir to the throne. Isn't that cool? And we see Emmanuel. God with us. God has brought to us his blessing. Matthew takes great care as you go through the pages of his gospel to make sure there is a connection between the teachings of the prophets and this one we are calling King. Do you realize that in his book, in his gospel, there are over 130 quotes to Old Testament prophecy? 130 quotes. He's making this clear. They would have known throughout the book. You see, in order to fulfill, Jesus did this. Jesus was living, doing, acting, working in a certain way in order to fulfill what the Scriptures declared. Where the Old Testament Scriptures leave off, Matthew comes in declaring with a trumpet, this is the King. Look! Behold your King! It's such a beautiful, powerful way. And their long-awaited king would present himself in a way that baffled them. He would present himself and present the kingdom. The kingdom was at hand. And we look at this kingdom. As, as we go through, we, we see that John the Baptist is the one who prepares the way. I, I love looking at John's story in this. And, and from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, it's John that has an integral part preparing, but then Jesus comes to him to be baptized, to initiate the beginning of his ministry. John's like, whoa, 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 I can't do this. Jesus says, you must. John declares, look, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. Oh, had they listened, they would have understood. But truth be told, even John didn't fully understand. He goes into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan himself after being out there for 40 days and nights. So much symbolism that ties to that time right there. So many pictures, I wish we had time to look at them. But Jesus Christ comes out on the other side of that temptation, on the other side of that 40 days, victorious. Our King. I love that each time Jesus engages in the battles and struggles that you and I will engage with, every time Jesus goes to the Scripture. The very Word of God in flesh takes people to the Word of God. 
Jesus calls together his, his disciples after this, and he calls Matthew. He calls a sinner that God would want me a sinner. I am humbled by it every time I think about that. Matthew, as he recalls it, is humbled. There's a three-year ministry that will take place where Christ will work and these men will be equipped. It's a ragtag group of men, but, but Jesus is going to use them. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't pick the smartest, brightest, best educated, best looking individuals out there, most liked, voted most likely to succeed in their, you know, high school yearbook? Actually, I love reminding our youth that most of these disciples were, were high school age young men. God's like, I'm going to use you guys because you, you have the energy, the passion to turn the world upside down. We see God's, or Christ's opinion of some of the, the religious individuals. Christ comes as the king, the suffering servant, and truth be told, Israel, as they see Jesus, they pictured the suffering servant a little different. But he comes and he gives a sermon on the mount. It's a 15-minute sermon that will take you a lifetime to instigate and make practical in your life. Still one of the best sermons I've given was when I stood up here going through Luke and read for you the Sermon on the Mount and sat down. His words are powerful. He sets forth a standard that amazes the people. Not words that they would expect from a king. Jesus taught with authority. Not like all their other teachers who would talk about something they knew of. Jesus came speaking of something he was, he is, he gave. And he taught with authority. You know, kingdom living is really, when we look at our life, it's flipped upside down. It's not common in our culture, it's counterculture, it's counter human behavior. I mean, some of his teachings, I mean, first of all, he says the first will be last. And the last will be first. Well, how does that work? And then he goes and teaches that those who serve, who are the lowest among you, in my kingdom are the greatest. Well, that doesn't compute. We work our whole life going up the ladder, right? but not in his kingdom. Jesus teaches that those who give everything, give everything. Let that sink in. That's a lot. Are the richest. Those who give everything are the richest. Doesn't compute. 
And then he says, you've heard an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Well, I'm here to say, love your enemies. And to go even further beyond. What? That doesn't compute. And he comes extending to us. God with us gives us His standard by which we are to live by. And we're like, well, that's for the kingdom, and the kingdom isn't now, so that's later. No. No, 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 no. This is His standard. And Jesus comes showing, displaying His power, His authority. And throughout his, his ministry, we see him having authority as we observe ten miracles that Jesus performs just in Matthew alone. As we look at this, we see his power and authority over sickness. I love that everyone who came to him was healed. I love that when he encounters demonic activity, they tremble. Because he has authority over the demons. I, I, we look and we see that Jesus, the star breather, has authority over creation and nature. The disciples drop to their knees in worship when he says to the storm, be still. And instantly, it stops. Oh, that we would obey Christ as well as creation does. As well as nature. Over disease and even death, Jesus exhibits power and authority. We see over and over throughout Matthew that faith, faith in Christ is, is directly connected to Christ working in the individual. Faith is not separated from this. But you know what? You would think that someone who could feed 5,000 people, who could heal sick, who had power over the weather, who could raise the dead, people would come in droves to follow and worship him. And they did it first. It was amazing. It was, it was fun to watch. It was amazing to hear his teaching. But his teaching rubbed people's hearts wrong. Jesus, you can't expect me to live that way. That is uncomfortable. That is not how I want to live this life. And so slowly, slowly, as they saw Jesus present himself, they would pull away. They wanted a conqueror. They wanted someone to come in and rip out Rome. I mean, the prophets had declared that, hadn't they? I mean, had not the message of the prophets declared that there is one coming and he will be a suffering servant and he will bring with him the kingdom, and he will rule forever. So if the Messiah was here, then he should be toppling over, well, that Roman emperor. 
Those Roman guards should, should quake as he comes walking by, should they not? Come on, Jesus, lead a rally against Rome. Isaiah 53 presents him as that suffering servant. But they looked at suffering as their oppression under Rome. They wanted the glory days of Jerusalem. When all the world would look and go, wow, look at Israel. We've never wanted the glory days of our nation, have we? Oh, to have those glory days. And Jesus comes and, well, they didn't comprehend him. They were looking for the one. They desired the one to come, but they wanted someone else. They wanted the kingdom now. Not understanding what Christ was offering was freedom from sin. He came not to conquer Rome, but to conquer sin and death. And because of God's approach to look at the true heart of the matter, they reject Him. And God, Christ, reveals His plan slowly through Matthew of His church. There's going to be some time now before that kingdom comes. And He prepares and invests in those men that are around Him. He teaches them intimately. He teaches them in public. When he's in public, he teaches them with parables. He teaches them in, in crowded situations and when he's alone with them. He wants them to understand what is coming, what will occur, and the suffering that will take place. There's a point in, in Matthew that's recorded where Jesus is intimately with his twelve and he asks them a direct question, who is it that people say I am? Look at that portion with me. Matthew chapter 16. Chapter 16 verse 13 says this. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who? Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist. John the Baptist is now dead, beheaded. And, and others, Elijah. But still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Hmm. He said to them, but who do you, who do you say I am? Peter speaking up for the bunch. He was probably the oldest, we speculate. Simon Peter answered, You, you, Jesus, are the Christ. Christ is Greek for Messiah. Anointed one. You, 
the anointed one, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Oh, look what he says. I also say to you that you are Peter. Petra, rock. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Wow! They got it. You know, Jesus would continue to, to teach. There would be a continual slow rejection of him by so many crowds that followed him. You don't see large crowds following Jesus even today. Scoffers would cry out, Jesus, give us a sign. Prove it. He goes, I'm not going to give you a sign other than the sign of Jonah. Who was three days in the belly of the fish and on the third day he came out. You watch, I will give you a sign. When I rise from the dead, you will know. He challenged his followers, his disciples, to have an eternal perspective on life. You and I are to have an eternal perspective on life, a kingdom focus as we follow him. We sing the song, King of my heart. I doubt that sometimes when I look at how we follow him in our day-to-day -day lives. Is he truly king? Is he truly sitting on the throne of our hearts? And they reject him. They even go so far as to say, the work you do, Jesus, is of Satan. Whoa. The Sanhedrin cry out, you are not our Messiah. You are not, and we will not follow you. And they reject their king. Imagine that. Hope had been deferred for so long, and they reject their king when he comes. The two kingdoms collide and clash at that moment where man wants what he wants, and God offers what he has, and they clash. Their king comes riding on a donkey. Their king comes and cleanses the temple. Their king weeps for them. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. I would have gathered you like a mother hen. Do you realize that word is not a Jewish word in Hebrew? It's an Egyptian word meaning Passover, covering. Jesus weeps over his people and says, Oh, how I would have been your Passover. I would have been your covering. I would have come as your king. Yet, a nation that rejects him. Their king with love, grace, 
and mercy comes and offers himself as a sacrifice for them. Pilate would find no fault in him, yet would send him off to be crucified. And the king is mocked. These words have always been hard for me to read about my Savior. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 29. And after twisting a crown of thorns, they put it on his head. And a reed in his right hand. And they knelt down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail the King of Jews! They spat on him and took the reed and began to beat him on the head. The king spit on, mocked. Verse 35 continues, and they, and when they had crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves by casting lots. And sitting down, they began to keep watch over him there. And above his head, they put up the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. In mockery, they declared the truth, and there their king hung, bled, beaten, and died for their sin, for your sin and mine. Mocked. Hanging there on the cross, their king would hang and suffer. The Son of God, the Lamb of God, as John the Baptist declared, would hang there taking their sin. But then their king would be laid in a tomb. Not his own even. It's a borrowed tomb. It's okay, he wasn't going to need it long. Three days later. The tomb couldn't hold him. Death couldn't hold him. Jesus rose from the dead just like he said. His word authenticated in His resurrection. And Jesus Christ lives. Their King lives. Our King lives. He has conquered death and sin. Oh, come on. That deserves an amen, a hallelujah. Praise the Lord. He is risen. Yes, He is. And you know what? We get to declare that. And the King, after rising, declaring His authority, His power, gives you and I a charge in this book. Matthew records in the very last verses of this Gospel the good news, a command for us. It is called the Great Commission. You're like, that's a word I don't use often. A commission is, is something uh, that one of authority or rank gives a command of a certain set of acts and duties. 
Here it is. Matthew chapter 28. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All, by the word, that word all is all-encompassing, okay? It means everything, just in case you weren't clear on that. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The end. The end, that's right. That's how it ends. With a commission, a command for you and I. It is called the Great Commission, not the Great Concept. But we approach it as a great concept. Wow, that would be great if the church could do that. How could we do that? Hmm, let's see. We could have the pastor do this. We could, ooh, we could bring on missionaries and send them here, right? And we could, we could, oh. How about you and I just do it? The great commission, the great command for you and I. And I love the king that, that as Matthew introduces the king. He introduces him as God among us. Do you realize how Matthew ends? And I will be with you till the end of the age. He is with you. He continues to be with us as we go. It hasn't changed. Mark, Matthew writes this with an amazing Jewish perspective. Yes. But do you realize that his message, the message of the king is for all. His life is marked by drawing all to him. Even in his genealogy, we see Gentile women. In, in his birth, we see Gentile kings who come to worship him. In his messages of the field, we see that he tells them to go out into the world, right? The world is the field, the harvest. And in his final closing words, he tells us to go to all nations. God's message is for all people. So is he your king? Is he your king? Has he taken that place in your heart? It's always been about a heart issue. And he came to deal with the heart issue of sin. If he's your king, how well are we doing at following? Obeying. Because as king, he is king of kings. As Lord, he is Lord of lords. And he has the authority to dictate how you and I should live. Let's bow our heads to this King as we close in prayer. God, the concept of bowing, bringing oneself low, God, we don't do it enough as we come before you.
the pride and arrogance in our heart often swells up where we make you little and we make ourselves large. So God, as we bow our heads, may our hearts bow as well. A physical act to represent the motive of the heart. God, we sang earlier about you being king of our heart. Matthew presents... Christ as King, rightful heir. As Nathan shared this morning, we, drawn into relationship with you, are co-heirs. Oh God, what a privilege, what a blessing. That through Christ, all the nations of the world would be able to receive that blessing. So God, I pray that if there's any here who have not received the gift that your son brought, God, today would be that day.